New Falcons linebacker Caden Ellis's path to double-digit sacks is shorter than you think. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, everyone, you are Locked On Falcons. And of course, you know me, the host of this illustrious podcast, Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black. And of course, I want to thank everyone who is a everydayer that makes this illustrious podcast their first listen each in every day. And of course, follow in their footsteps by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcast so uh today's episode we will be talking quite a bit about caden ellis as well as the falcons pass rush as a whole and then later in the episode we will be joined by jimmy stein one of the co-hosts of the locked on bama podcast to talk about the falcons seventh round safety in demarco hellums but as i am sort of you know knee deep in zach harrison film as we gear up for my you know film breakdown scouting report whatever you want to call it probably later this week um you know i'm thinking quite a bit about the falcons pass rush and maybe we'll turn this into a series but thinking about some of the various players that could you know be the leaders in terms of sack production for the falcons this year and you know one of those players that i think is a legit candidate is caden ellis um and we mentioned caden ellis uh, last week on the podcast talking where a listener asked a question about, you know, the Falcons linebacker core. And I talked about how Caden Ellis, it wouldn't shock me if Caden Ellis wound up leading the team in sacks this year. And so, you know, I want to start off talking about kind of the floor in the ceiling, speaking of scouting reports on what Caden Ellis's sack potential and production potential could be this upcoming season. And part of the way that we can make these projections is looking back at what Demario Davis did in new Orleans, uh, where, we saw this past year, especially Caden Ellis kind of take over Demario Davis's role as that primary pass rusher uh, for the Saints from that linebacker position. And it's notable. And I, get, I think that's a testament to how good Caden Ellis was uh, that when you look at Demario Davis, who's been one of the best pass rushing linebackers in the league uh, for the four previous seasons uh, where he had 542 combined pass rushing snaps across 64 games, about eight and a half per game. And that consistently ranked in the top five in terms of off-ball linebackers in terms of pass rushing snaps and you saw the season that he had in 2019 where he had the most times getting those opportunities which is 168 snaps or about 10 and a half for a game and so you can take that 10 and a half per game and think of it as kind of the high range in terms of what we could see from Caden Ellis this year and so across 17 games about 10 and a half would be about 180 pass rushing snaps and that roughly corresponds with what Caden Ellis did in the back half of the season where we saw him get 80 snaps over the last eight games in terms of rushing the quarterback uh, this past year and then you look at the low end in terms of how many opportunities Caden Ellis could get this year uh, you know before this past year um, Davis's lowest total was about 112 pass rushing snaps, which is about seven per game. Uh, this past year, he only averaged about four pass rush snaps per game. Uh, but I assume that Caden Ellis will get more than four rushing opportunities each and every week, just because part of the selling point that the Falcons had to Caden Ellis as they signed him in free agency was that he would be given, uh, you know, maybe not. I don't know if they said equal opportunity, but it was heavily implied that he'll be able to get to rush the quarterback uh, quite as often as he did 
a year ago. So again, low end opportunities for Caden Ellis this upcoming season. If he averages seven pass rushing snaps a game, that's about 119 across 17 games. So let's give it 120 for a nice even round number. So at the very least, we're talking about Caden Ellis getting 120 pass rushing snaps this year up to potentially 180. And so now the question is, you know, what will Caden Ellis do with those opportunities? And that's where a pressure rate comes into play. And we, we, talked a bit on this podcast i'm sure you guys have heard elsewhere you know the difference between pressures and sacks is pressures tend to be a little bit more consistent year to year in terms of an individual player's production uh versus sacks uh and you look at kane ellis's pressure rate in 2022 uh this past year he had 19.4 percent pressure rate and over the final eight games where he got the bulk of those opportunities about 20.5 percent pressure rate now his career pressure rate with the saints was 18 percent due to his pressure rate being 13.9% the previous year as a part-time player. And you compare that with Demario Davis's pressure rate across his career with the Saints, it was 18.8%. His best year, uh, you know, was this past year, despite the limited opportunities where his pressure rate was 26.1%. The year where he had the most pressures was 2020, where he had 33 pressures that year. His pressure rate that year was 24.3%. So, you know, I think we can use 14% from Caden Ellis's 2021 season as the low end pressure rate for Caden Ellis moving forward in the high end, let's say 25%, which would be comparable to the peak of Demario Davis. So when we look at our parameters, our lowest end, is Caden Ellis gets 14% pressure rate on 120 snaps. That means he'll finish this upcoming season with about 17 pressures. At the high end, Caden Ellis, if he gets 25% pressure rate on 180 snaps, that means he could get up to 45 pressures, right? That's a really high number. So if we're just splitting it evenly, we'll say about 30 pressures uh, if we're talking eye-level stuff, guys, uh, here on the podcast. So about 30 pressures seems to be a realistic expectation for Caden Ellis based off of the low end and the high end. And so now we got to look at, in terms of sack production, what we got to look at the sack conversion rate, which is basically how many sacks does a guy get every time he gets pressure on the quarterback. And I'll skip the math. Basically, the low end sack conversion rate is about 20%, which is based off of Demario Davis's career average. And the high end would be about 35%, which is based off of Davis's career high, as well as Caden Ellis's career high this past year uh, in terms of sack conversion rate. So our floor for Caden Ellis. When we put all these numbers together, we put our low-end snaps, our low-end pressure rate, and our low-end sack conversion rate, that's about three and a half sacks for Caden Ellis this upcoming season. But our ceiling for Caden Ellis is an extraordinary 16 sacks if he gets the high-end snaps, if he gets the high-end pressure rate, and he gets the high-end sack conversion rate. And if, again, if you just split the difference and go eye level, right, that's about nine and a half to 10 sacks right there. So clearly there is a path for Caden Ellis to be a double-digit sack guy. Now, if you just split the difference between all of the things in terms of snaps, in terms of pressure rate, that would be 150 snaps, 19.5% pressure rate, and about 27.5% sack conversion rate, that would equal roughly about eight sacks. So in a lot of ways, I think an average year for Caden Ellis is realistic based off of his previous body of work, as well as that of Demario Davis. And I'm sure, you know, people will counter, well, you can't expect Caden Ellis to be as good as Demario Davis. Although again, going back to the earlier point I made, which is based off of the fact that the saints thought Caden Ellis was a better option than Demario Davis in the latter half of the season, you know, kind of tells you that I, I don't think that, uh, you know, to dis dismiss Caden Ellis to say that he can't outproduce Demario Davis, I don't think would be fair to Caden Ellis or the New Orleans Saints brass. But again, I think it's very likely that an average year for Caden Ellis is an eight sack 
sort of season. And therefore the jump from him to get from eight sacks to 10 sacks or more sacks is not as massive a leap as I think probably a lot of people uh, assume. And I think one of the ways that Caden Ellis can be successful to maximize those opportunities is by utilizing the stunts that were so often frequently used by the saints uh, over the last couple of years. And the expectation is that we'll see uh, Ryan Nielsen, the Falcons new defensive coordinator port that over from uh, New Orleans. But I think, you know, one of the questions is going to be, you know, do the Falcons have that sort of alpha pass rusher, right? And whether that's going to hold back this unit. And I don't think it necessarily is because I think in part due to the Falcons utilizing stunts to basically offset the fact that they don't have that alpha will lead to them having greater sack production and greater pressure uh, production this year than they have in recent years. And we'll talk about that and break that down as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you about the great folks at Built Bar who offer us the, you know, from like manna from heaven, the uh, protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar because Built Bars have uh, are covered in 100% real chocolate. They're low in sugar. They're low in calories, but they have a whopping 17, gram of, 17 grams of protein. They come in a variety of flavors. I myself just ordered a box that should be arriving in the next day or two, probably by the time you guys are listening to this. So the next time you hear me talk about built bars, I'll be telling you my review on the, the velvet puff uh, bar uh, as well as some other flavors, but you guys can order yourself a limited time flavor like the red velvet puff or other limited time flavors by going to built.com. Use the promo code locked on 15, just like I did. And you'll get 15% off. And you can also check out built bars at your local Walmart or Sam's club. Just head to the pharmacy section in the Walmart, grab yourself a four bar box of the cookies and cream or double chocolate. You can run into Sam's and get a 13, bar box of brownie batter puff or churro so check out built bar you will thank me later so continuing today's episode talking a bit more about the falcons pass rush as a whole and you know i think that's been one of the frequent criticisms that some have had about the falcons offseason which is they didn't go out there and get themselves an alpha i don't know if that's a real fair criticism of uh the falcons offseason but you know it's it's understandable that is probably you know the, the most glaring issue and particularly when it comes to an edge rusher we're hoping we'll see a, a big leap for arnold abigati maybe that will be a topic later this week on the podcast certainly at some point this summer we will uh, take a deeper look into arnold abigati and the expectations for him uh this upcoming season but it goes back to a conversation we had with damian parson of the locked on nfl draft podcast when we were talking about his thoughts on the zach harrison selection and talking about how zach harrison isn't necessarily that guy to use a basketball analogy that can you know go out there and create his own shot or get you a bucket when you need it right the equivalent in football is like it's third and seven it's the fourth quarter you need someone to go out there and get you a sack get you a pressure and zach harrison may be that guy and the falcons may not necessarily have that guy again although we're hoping you know grady jarrett uh can be that guy as well as arnold Ebiketti. uh but you know to use a baseball analogy it's you know having that ace pitcher having that closer is what we're talking about when the falcons don't have an alpha and again i don't know if it's a fair criticisms of the Falcons offseason because there really weren't any of those guys especially at the edge rusher position available in free agency and I don't really know if there were that many guys available in the draft right you know Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson were the two guys that most people projected that had the the most potential to be that sort of alpha player and then after that you know the jury was still out on Lucas Van Ness and Miles Murphy and Nolan Smith and I certainly was very skeptical of several of those guys developing into that alpha type of player so I don't know if that's a fair criticism of you know the Falcons offseason but you know obviously I think that will be something that the Falcons will continue to work towards uh but I don't necessarily know that that's always an automatic 
uh, reason for success because you look at a team like the Raiders who have just like the Falcons been one of the league's worst pass rushes these last several years and they've had alphas they've had Khalil Mack uh, in back in 2017 they've had Max Crosby the last couple of years uh, and even though their pass rush has been better the last couple of years than the Falcons uh, overall you know they still like the second worst pass rush in the NFL, despite having an alpha. So I don't think just having an alpha alpha automatically means success. It's more about the overall uh, quality. But when you don't have that guy, I do think it does put pressure on your defense and your scheme and your play caller, uh, the defensive coordinator, to try to manufacture ways to enhance pressure that, you know, having that one guy that can go out there and get you a bucket, so to speak, uh, may not exist for your team. And I think the way that the Falcons will do that is by utilizing stunts. That was something that the Saints did quite a bit of. I expect that to, you know, uh, continue. that be one of the things that Ryan Nielsen ports over from New Orleans. And I read a study recently about that Pro Football Focus did right after the 2021 season, uh, looking at the effectiveness of stunts. And uh, they had basically shown that you know stunts lead to more pressure and more sacks than non-stunts do uh, uh although what was a notable thing about that study that they did right at the end of the 2021 season was going back over the five previous years the usage of stunts in the nfl had declined over that period of time uh and they didn't necessarily offer a concrete conclusion as to why that was and i certainly uh wouldn't have any greater insight uh than pff would uh on that front. But for those of you that are not as familiar with stunts, I know probably the majority of you know what I'm referring to, but stunts, you know, the classic stunt is when you have two defenders that are like twisting, right? Let me get the visual reference here in front of your camera, but you have an inside guy and an outside guy, right? The classic TE stunt, you got the defense attack on the inside, the edge rusher, uh, the in on the on the outside and you have one guy crash so usually you know you have the tackle crash into the offensive tackle that's supposed to block the edge rusher and the edge rusher will loop inside or you can have the edge rusher crash into the guard um and then have the tackle loop outside that's your classic sort of stunt so uh you know I think we'll see quite a bit of that. Again, Caden Ellis, it's all over Caden Ellis's film. If you go back and watch the Saints, uh, that was not something that the Falcons did a lot of under Dean Pease. We made note of that a year ago. And I, I, I think that's a contributing factor to why Grady Jarrett's production has fallen off the last two years under Dean Pease, because that was something that the Falcons did quite a bit under Raheem Morris. We've talked in the past about how, you know, the differences between Raheem Morris as a play caller and uh, Dean Pease as a play caller, Raheem Morris being a lot more aggressive, Dean Pease being a lot more conservative. I'm expecting Ryan Nielsen to be much more aggressive and, and bring back a lot of things that we were regular features of the Falcons defense for, from a schematic standpoint under, you know, the Dan Quinn era, which is stunts. Uh, more, more man coverage, all those various things. And I think that will benefit uh, the talent level of this team. But we didn't hold it against Dean Pease that he wasn't as aggressive. Now, certainly think it's fair to criticize. Maybe he could have dialed up a few more stunts than he did over the last two years. But we talked about the, the main difference between Raheem Morris and, and Dean Pease was Morris could afford to be more aggressive because of the Falcons offense in 2019 and 2020, where they had a lot more explosive potential. So if they fell into a hole, at least theoretically, they could much more easily climb out of that. Although we can certainly argue whether or not they lived up to those expectations under Dirk Cutter, but with Matt Ryan, with Julio Jones, with Calvin Ridley, you know, a 10, nothing deficit wasn't some insurmountable lead while the last couple of seasons, given the lack of weapons, given, the the lesser quarterback play uh that seemed to be a much more problematic issue for the Falcons. we saw that in desmond ritter's first start against the saints where they basically fell into a 14-0 hole 
although they battled back, but you know, pretty much any game where the Falcons fell into a, like a two score deficit, they pretty much were guaranteed a loss the last couple of years, even if they did make it interesting in the fourth quarter. And the hope is that one of the things that will facilitate Ryan Nielsen being a lot more aggressive this season from a defensive play calling standpoint with some of these things, you know, the blitzes and, and whatnot is because the Falcons offense will be a lot more explosive, will be much more willing to be, you know, we can be aggressive because a 10 nothing lead is not some insurmountable lead uh, due to, you know, hopefully improved play from Desmond Ritter and the presence of Kyle Pitts and the growth of Drake London and B. John Robinson. And of course, Scotty White, you know, uh, or for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, some genius, uh, he came up with this nickname for Scotty Miller called Scotty White. And so, you know, we, we salute that genius person out there. Uh, but of course that wasn't me because I'm so humble out here, but I do expect Nielsen to be a lot more aggressive in uh, with his huge blitzes and stunts. Now we know the saints weren't necessarily a team that, blitz a ton when it came to bringing five or six guys so i don't think that's going to change that's not something the team peas did quite a lot of but it was a lot of four-man pressures on those simulated pressures those sims and creepers that we talked about last summer that dean peas dean peas was you know he loved the creepers uh and i think we'll see a lot more sims when it comes to ryan nielsen's defense and we'll borrow ted and win of the athletics definition that we discussed last summer that he wrote up in 2021 and he wrote Sims and Creepers are both four-man rushes that involve bringing one or two second or third-level defenders while dropping one or two first-level defenders. So an example would be blitzing an inside linebacker while dropping a defensive lineman. And he added further context that some people separate them as Creepers or Zones and Sims or Man Creepers. We're not showing pressure. Sims, we are showing pressure. So you'll probably see a lot of instances where you'll see these two linebackers and Troy Anderson and, and Caden Ellis especially mugging those A-gaps, lining up in the A-gaps. You'll have six defenders on the line of scrimmage with the four down linemen, the two linebackers. And it looks like from the offensive perspective that six guys could potentially come They're They're bringing all out blitz, but only four of those guys. And it's up to the offense, the quarterback, the center, whoever to figure out which four guys are coming. And that's a way that a defense can create pressure and scheme pressure uh, in, in creative ways. And I'm expecting to see quite a bit of that, especially given the expectation that we'll see more man coverage, which lends itself to more of the Sims than necessarily the creepers, which is zone coverage a staple of the DMP's defense. I think that's going to see a lot of Kane Ellis doing that. We'll see quite a bit of Troy Anderson. He was effective uh, bringing that pressure from the second level uh, last year, especially at the end of the season. And I also think the usage of stunts uh, will accentuate a lot of players. You know, we already mentioned Ellis. We already mentioned Grady Jarrett. Obviously, if you have Calais Campbell as that crash defender, uh, you know, that's gonna, <laughs> that's definitely going to clear a runway for whoever that player that is looping inside or outside him. We obviously know David Anyamata coming from the Saints did his thing. I thought Lorenzo Carter did a good job with the Giants on stunts and whatnot. D'Angelo Malone has the speed and quickness to be able to shoot uh, those gaps and be that loop defender. We know that the Steelers you, uh, were very effective utilizing stunts and twists throughout you know, the height of Bud Dupree's time there, so he should benefit from that. The one player that I have kind of a question mark about benefiting from the stunts and twists is Arnold Abichetti because when you watch his Penn State film, he wasn't that effective doing that. And last summer I commented when I broke him down on my scouting report of him was that, well, because Dean Pease doesn't utilize a lot of those stunts and twists, it's not going to matter all that much. But that was something that stood out to me watching his film. So that would be something to keep an eye on. Does Arnold Abichetti uh, benefit uh, from, you know, the increased stunts and twists to the degree that some of these other players may be? But I think all in all, it's going to lead to uh, increase in pressure and sacks for this team. Um, I think overall the Falcons pass 
pass rush is probably going to be better than probably some people think it's going to be, despite not having that alpha pass rusher. And it's all, you know, the, going back to the statement, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts because the scheme is enhancing some of these players with the usage of the stunts and the twists and all these various things. And I think Caden Ellis is a great, uh, option to be a direct beneficiary of this and certainly the low end is maybe he gets four sacks this year but i think the high end you know is potential that he gets eight ten or more sacks this year and i think i like that potential for the falcons you know for caden ellis to maybe be on the stat sheet to look like the alpha even if he isn't the main guy that's out there rushing each and every snap uh from a sack production and while i think the falcons you know continue the basketball analogy alluded to before uh, the falcons don't necessarily have that guy that can create his own shot off the dribble but you know they're going to utilize with the stunts it's going to be a lot of pick and rolls and it's going to be an effective offense and i think that's going to be a sign of the good coaching that the falcons will have but this is a conversation that we'll probably continue to unpack across the summer as we get geared up for the season and certainly something that we'll keep an eye on uh, as we talk about more guys obviously later this week we'll probably talk about zach harrison specifically you know where does he fit in on the stunts and twists? You'll have to check that out a little bit later, but continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen. But we will wrap up today's episode uh, by talking with Jimmy Stein of the Locked on Bama podcast all about DeMarco Hellams, the Falcons' seventh-round safety. So we'll get into that as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. All right, everyone, we are back with another illustrious guest here on the Locked on Falcons podcast, and he is none other than Jimmy Stein, the co-host of the Locked on Bama podcast. And of course, we're talking about these Falcons 2023 draft class. And of course, the Falcons nabbed an Alabama safety in DeMarco Hellams in round seven. And Jimmy's, of course, here to talk with us about that. Jimmy, my friend, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Aaron. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Alabama fans that uh, support the Falcons due to proximity. So, uh, We'll get some Alabama fans listening uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, DeMarco Hellens was a two-year starter uh, at Alabama, productive player, led the team in interceptions as a junior. But it, it seemed like he was kind of always overshadowed by guys like Jordan Battle and, and Brian Branch, at least from my perspective, obviously, coming from the NFL and looking at those players as you know prospective NFL prospects. Um, I'm just curious to pick your brain on what did you think of DeMarco Hellams' career uh, at Alabama and sort of where he fit in the mix there on that defensive secondary? Yeah, it's easy to get sort of uh, in the shadows of, of other kids at, at Nick Saban's Alabama with the, with the kind of recruiting, the level of recruiting uh, that, that Nick Saban produces annually. Uh, you know, as soon as you get up to the top of the depth chart, they, they, they sign some other kid who's going to be a three-and-done first-round pick. But uh, DeMarco Hellams managed to uh, – become a starter fairly early in his career. He actually, before he was a full-time starter, he was the starter in dime, I think as a sophomore, where in the dime package he would come in and play with the first team uh, as a young player. And that's when uh, Alabama fans first saw DeMarco play regularly. And then in his final two years, he was a full-time starter at safety uh, in all the packages, base, nickel, and dime, and, and never left the field. Uh, he's an interesting player, uh, very instinctive I would say what he brings to the table, Aaron, and probably the reason that the Falcons uh, like DeMarco the most is he's a very good tackler. He, he's a uh, not, not a huge hitter so much as just a very fundamentally sound, doesn't miss tackles. Uh, when he hits you, he gets you to the ground. You're not going to see a lot of misses from him, uh, and he's physical enough for sure. Uh, you know, if he has issues, it's a little bit in coverage, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, I, I would say that at Alabama, he was really 
Alabama Steph's box safety, you know, a guy kind of plays a little lower, a guy that gets really involved in the run game, a guy that covers tight ends a lot, you know, in, in coverage. Uh, and if he has some, some issues, it's in uh, deep center field or when he somehow is matched up with, uh, with an outside receiver one-on-one. Uh, that, that's what kept DeMarco out of, let's say, uh, Friday and into Saturday as it relates to the draft. Yeah, you, you talk about him being probably uh, Alabama's best box safety. Even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, he does sort of fit, at least from the handful of games I've watched of him, uh, that sort of classic strong safety type of role you talked about, being comfortable against the run, being able to cover tight ends. That Tennessee game where he got kind of matched up uh, deep against Jalen Hyde a couple of times, and you saw some of those issues that you're talking about in coverage being exposed. I'm, I'm curious, what did you think of – sort of does he just kind of project as you say as that more classic strong safety or do you feel like because of the experience that he has doing different things as you mentioned dime looks and whatnot in Alabama secondary we know how well uh, coached those defensive backs are could he have a more expanded role in the NFL do you think he certainly could one thing is he's a very bright kid this guy's bright he picked up things quickly and he'll pick up things quickly in the NFL he has some leadership uh, abilities to uh, I don't think he would ever be uh, someone that would excel in some of the areas that were, were uh, an issue for him at Alabama like I don't think you'll see him in the NFL as a classic center fielder type I, I just don't think there'll, there'll always be someone better uh, there'll always be someone better than him at that uh, there will always be a, a safety that's better at the man-to-man coverage with wide receivers there'll always be someone better uh, can he do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. He can get away with it. He's good enough, you know, and, and for as, as much talk as there was about the Jalen Hyatt, Tennessee game, Jalen Hyatt for the Falcons fans that, uh, that, that, that are unaware, <laughs> uh, Jalen Hyatt uh, had five touchdown receptions against Alabama and their loss to Tennessee, caught five touchdown passes. Uh, they were all on big plays uh, and vertical plays and, and Helms was, uh, was apparently victimized uh, two or three of those times, and uh, and Alabama fans, uh, you know, remember that. But as you know, Aaron, you know, when a defensive back makes an error, makes a mistake, everyone can see it. Uh, when a front seven guy makes a mistake, sometimes the fans never even know. Uh, but when, when someone on the back end makes an error, uh, everybody sees it. I think Alabama had some missed assignment issues, and I don't think the way Alabama drew it up on those plays that Helms was supposed to be covering – Tennessee's outside wide receiver that runs a 4-3-40. I, I don't think that was how Alabama drew it up, mm-hmm. but there might have been some missed assignments. And then Helms is the one closest to the play, so, you know, the fans blame him. Uh, now, any time an Alabama fan would get sort of uh, critical of Helms over, over that particular game, I bring up, you know, he's been playing with the first team for three years. What's his second worst game? And, and no one has an answer for that. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was definitely a one-off for Helms. And again, I don't think it was it was all necessarily on him uh, for the most part. And when I say for the most part, every other game that Marco Ellis played for Alabama, he brought a, a lot more to the table. Uh, excellent tackler, big play guy. And like you said, led, uh, led the team in interceptions in his junior year. Uh, so he's not just a box guy, but it is what he does best. Uh, he will also be an outstanding special teams player because he can really run. And, uh, and he's not shy about hitting you when he gets there. 
Well, Jimmy, I apologize for bringing up some uh, bad memories from that Tennessee game uh, here on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you generally. Like, it, it felt like he was kind of victimized a little bit in that game by chance, not necessarily because of, uh, you know, skill and whatnot. But uh, let's let's talk a little bit more positive about some Alabama safeties. And let's compare DeMarco Hellams to some of the guys. Obviously, you have players like Minka Fitzpatrick and Xavier McKinney and Eddie Jackson that were drafted highly, went on to be uh, effective starters in the league. But I'm just curious, where do you sort of stack DeMarco Hellams, you know, in this recent history of Alabama safeties with guys like Deontay Thompson and, and, and some of these other players that have gone on to have some success in the NFL? Where do you sort of see DeMarco Hellams? Yeah, I think Deontay Thompson, I, I, I like that. There was a, a, a player that's been retired for, for a while from the NFL that had quite a bit of success in the NFL, primarily with the Cardinals, Rashad Johnson. Uh, he's a lot like DeMarco Hellams. Uh, I, I think that's a really good comp for him. At Alabama, you know, there, there's a handful of superstar players uh, all the time, and Mika Fitzpatrick is a great example of that, who is a superstar at Alabama day one and has continued to be a superstar in the NFL with uh, first the Dolphins and now the Steelers. I, I wouldn't put Helms, be honest, in, in that category. There's a reason Fitzpatrick was first-team All-American at Alabama and then a first-round draft pick, and, and we're talking about Helms being taken in the seventh round. But I think there's a level of player that I would just refer to as solid. DeMarco Helms was solid at Alabama. That He did have the, the, the hiccups against Tennessee – and then for a player who started really for more than two years, uh, it's hard to name the other hiccups because there was, weren't really a lot of bad plays there. Just a solid player, not necessarily a huge playmaker, not a guy that was a candidate to be SEC Defensive Player of the Week, but just every time the coaches grade the film on Sundays after Saturday's game, you got the feeling that every Sunday DeMarco had a, well, that was solid. He was never in danger of losing his job. Even after that Tennessee game, uh, he, he's not only did he start the following week, not only was he out there, you know, the very next week, he absolutely, uh, you know, he, he played extremely well. It wasn't just talk of, hey, you think DeMarco go to the bench? He played one of his very best games the next week against Mississippi State. I think he led the team with 12 or 13 tackles the following week against Mississippi State. There was never any real uh, conversation about putting DeMarco Hellams on the bench. Uh, and, and that's after playing two and a half years and having good players behind him, players that you'll be talking about next year, next year's draft, like Malachi Moore, who's going to be a drafted Alabama safety in the 2024 draft. And um, we have a freshman uh, showing up uh, this fall, a guy from Georgia, from the Atlanta area, Caleb Downs, uh, whose older brother was just drafted uh, in the third round as a wide receiver. Caleb Downs uh, showed up basically as an immediate starter at safety. He could end up being a Minka Fitzpatrick level type player. That's the kind of talent Alabama has always had under Nick Saban. And it's a tribute to DeMarco Ellums that he was able to start for more than two years with the amount of talent that's always coming in and out of Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Absolutely. And it feels like that Alabama pedigree, especially over the last decade or more, uh, especially with the DBs, you know, you do, as you mentioned, you have these Minka Fitzpatrick's that go on to be NFL stars, but then you have like the next tier of guys that just wind up, you know, like haha Clinton Dix and Eddie Jackson that go on to be, you know, starters for like seven years in the NFL. And then even guys that stick around as reserves, you know, for like five to seven years, it's just, it is a NFL pipeline. And I do think 
from what I have seen from DeMarco Hellams and having this conversation with you, Jimmy, today, it does feel like he's going to be one of those players that winds up, he'll find a role in the NFL, whether that's a special teams player, whether that's a backup or, you know, potentially even a starter down the road. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you coming in uh, on today's episode and, and sharing your insight into DeMarco Hellams. Any last thoughts on Hellams and where can all those, where can people find your, you know, uh, stuff uh, online and, and what you guys got coming up on Locked on Bama? Sure, Locked on Bama. Uh, of course, uh, we're, we're here five, six times a week. And with any uh, breaking news, uh, we, we talk about the NFL quite a bit. Uh, we, we, are, we are Locked on Bama, but uh, this week the uh, NFL schedule release got us really interested. There's now over 70 Alabama players in the NFL. And uh, whenever we have the, the schedule release, uh, that, that we, we do whole episodes on Hey, you know when the when the Dolphins play the Panthers, it's Tua versus Bryce, and and uh, so we do get a lot of NFL talk, and uh, and there are a lot of Falcons fans. The last thing I'd say about uh, Demarco Helms is this: you know, had Helms been taken in like the third round or the fourth round, I've seen enough of him to where being objective uh, as, as like a third round pick, I'd go ah, that's that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not 100 percent sure he will be an every down starter in the NFL. But I'd say this as a seventh-round pick, he's a steal because he will be one of the best safeties in the room at what he does best. So I think you're exactly right, Aaron, and DeMarco finding a role that can help the team. And, boy, if you, you find a solid role player and a good special teams player in the seventh round, that's a steal. And, and I think that's a great way to describe Helms. Absolutely. Well, Jimmy, I really appreciate you joining me on today's Lockdown Falcons. Look forward to uh, I'm sure we'll be having some future chats because I, I think the Falcons and so many other NFL teams always find a way to go back to that Alabama well at some point in the future. So uh, look forward to our future conversations, Jimmy, but really appreciate you joining me on Lockdown Falcons. Thanks for having me on here. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Thanks, Jimmy Stein, for uh, joining us on today's episode. Later this week, possibly tomorrow, we should be uh, talking with Locked On Gamecocks about Javon Gwynn. So you can look forward to that. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the, the plan is to do a Zach Harrison breakdown. I don't know what day it's going to be. It could be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, one of these days. Uh, it just depends. You know, I should be able to wrap up the film in the next probably by the time you're listening to this. I'm wrapping up the film and then it just takes, you know, I got to let the 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 ingredients marinate before I come out. Usually I, I like to at least let it marinate for a day before I, I do the breakdown. So we'll see how that goes, but that's in store for you later this week. We'll maybe talk more about some of this pass rush uh, since we spent, you know, so much of the last couple of weeks talking about the offense. So, you know, give the defense some love uh, on the podcast, maybe this week. So continue to make Locked On Falcons your first listen, go check out Locked On Bama. If you want to get more insight into, uh, you know, the Crimson Tide, uh, of course, Locked On NFL Draft. They're doing summer scouting, Locked On NFL scouting with the draft dudes. Also, you know, mixing in summer scouting as as well as, you know, breaking down some of the various, you know, things to expect from uh, various teams this upcoming season. So it's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every 